0: Hey listeners, it's Vry from The Editing Chair. These episodes were mostly recorded before the protests started, so I wanted to make a little note ahead of time to say that we stand with the protesters in solidarity against the cops and against the murder of black people across the U.S. We encourage you to do whatever you can, whether that's going out and protesting or donating to local bail bonds or other organizations, or spreading the news on social media. We have linked some possible organizations on the Twitter, the LGBTQ Freedom Fund, and the Okra Project, which has set up remembrances named after Tony McDade and Nina Pop, two of our black trans siblings that were murdered. We tend not to do commentary on black queer cinema for these Pride Month episodes because we feel as a, an extremely white podcast, it isn't our place to offer commentary on those films, but we nonetheless would recommend seeking it out. Some films you can stream right now are Moonlight, Just Another Girl on the IRT, Daughters of the Dust, Rafiki, and the works of Cheryl Dunier particularly The Watermelon Woman. Um, These are all great films. We cannot afford to look away. I hope that our podcast can be a moment for you all to recharge, because the fight is not over. Happy Pride, y'all. Stay safe. Hey there, listeners, and welcome to Trash and Treasures, where we watch the movies other people throw away. My name is Dry, and with me, as always, is Dorothy.
1: Hi, welcome to week three of June Pride Month.
0: Yay! Our annual weekly affair. Just as a reminder, or if you're joining us for the first time, our theme this year is genre film. We've so far we've covered. Uh... Now, which genre is this? Is this sci-fi or mumblecore? Rude. Damn. Going for the murder right off the front. (laughs) That's extremely brutal. (laughs) The answer is, of course, both. (laughs) This week we are covering Madeline Olneck's Codependent Lesbian Space Aliens Seeks Same, uh, a title that I only want to say once for the sake of the... the hisses on this recording (laughs) so space alien is actually in the same space as ripley kind of because we're talking about a much more recent film of a considerably older work so this film came out in 2011 written and directed by olnik but it was based on a play that she wrote in 1992 for the wow cafe and it kind of shows, but not in a bad
1: way. It just
0: doesn't feel like something that came out in 2011. No, it feels much more contemporaneous to Clerks, hence the Mumblecore. And not just because it's written in black, or it's shot in black and white. To uh, to go with the extremely Plan 9 kind of vibe of the thing. Yeah, it, it
1: a lot of the aesthetic choices are nods to stuff by, you know, Ed Wood. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is also just a vibe to it in the writing style and and stuff that makes it feel contemporaneous to Clerks or the Watermelon Woman.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's a very interesting thing to watch. Yeah, I kind of fell down a research hole while I was looking into the background info on this one that was super interesting. Uh, we kind of weighed between doing genre film or specifically a deep dive into new queer cinema. and I feel like this this week is our backdoor into talking about the uh, queer 90s a little bit. Because <laughs> like I said, the play originally came out in 92 and it was performed at a place called the Wow Cafe, which was a really big deal in the New York theater scene because it was this collective of really influential lesbian artists. In fact, one of the mainstay performers, Holly Hughes, was one of the key figures in kicking off the 90s cultural wars because she was one of the four people to have her grant for the arts rescinded because of objectionable content as a lesbian artist. So it was like a really big deal. And so just affiliation with it became political immediately. Mm -hmm. And Olnick herself was associated with ACT UP in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. I guess we should mention... Larry Kramer just passed Mm.
1: at time of recording. And that obituary was some bullshit.
0: Provocation is important. Mm Mm-hmm. We will provide a link. There's actually a lot of very interesting reading that goes along with this. (laughs) Not that we're assigning it. No, no. But we will provide it. I thought that you might like to know that one of the uh, most named well-known plays that Wow performed was called the well of horniness nice 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 they received a little bit uh, uh there were largely a satire group actually it's still there today but a lot of their most famous 90s work was satire based around butch femme dynamics specifically
1: hmm so they've That's got interesting because this one doesn't really have that tension presence
0: hmm yeah it seems like Olek was. Like, well-regarded, but a little bit of an outlier. A lot of the oral histories I found didn't really name her specifically. Although she is apparently doing a project upcoming with the uh, with the Five Lesbian Brothers, which is this collective of five artists who were well-known and associated with uh, the WoW Cafe and specifically do, like, very... I'm sure they would bulk of it at the at the, uh, the comparison, but very watersy sounding, you know, sort of absurd satirical stuff. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've already seen an Olnick uh, work yes. like, in our private life, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, yeah, and patrons may have heard us talk about it in the 2019 roundup of movies we saw. Uh, probably Olnick's most wide reaching work is wild nights with emily which came out in 2018 and did the festival circuit and then kind of had a brief theatrical run in 2019 it had a big star name git basically yeah molly shannon
1: portrays um emily dickinson in that and it's very good it also shares
0: a star with this right it does it it actually both of the stars in this movie are in there um Ah. The other woman is, I believe, the uh, the woman that Susan has an affair with. Right. Okay. I didn't. I didn't recognize her without the curtain bangs. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Olnik seems to have that very Smith and Waters like energy, where she has these performers that she really works well with and carries through her films her other movie that we haven't had a chance to see at time of recording but i'd really like to uh the foxy merkins also has both of them in it Mm. this movie is a little bit it's very obviously a first feature you know Mm. it's it's a little bit uh how to say perfunctorily shot i think It, it is it well, that's another thing it
1: has in common with clerks is that a lot of the sh- the scenes are very set the camera in the place there's space to f- put a camera mm-hmm. and then do the scene in front of the camera. There's not a lot of cinematography and there's an entire sort of weird sub conversation between a couple of the characters to explain why they're constantly sitting in the back seat of a car, which is pretty clearly so that we can cram the camera into the front seat. Mm hmm. <laughs> Which, which is charming.
0: <laughs> yeah, there are a couple very minor nods to the fact that this is now a film instead of a stage play. And that it's 2011 and not 1992. Like, a scene where someone is talking on a cell phone, except they're clearly talking on a payphone. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was very clearly written before cell phones were a thing. And, and the dating culture is, is very sort of newspaper-based. I mean that's the, the title. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: That's true. Yeah, they do. You know, maybe these aliens would have better luck finding somebody to date if
0: they placed ads for apartments. <sighs> that's true. As we know, that is the most reliable way <laughs> to find every lesbian in New York. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, this is an extremely New Yorkie film. <laughs> even if, even before I, I knew that this play came out of a New York Arts Collective. Boy, it just... You were right, by the way. She did go to NYU. I could tell. <laughs> this is also not quite feature length. It's only 70 minutes. And you can, if you are at home, rent it for yourselves because the internet is determined to make a liar out of me. So when I initially proposed this movie as as a possibility for the podcast just because I liked Wild Nights with Emily so much and wanted to look into more of Olnick's work... <laughs> and I knew she had, and sci-fi one. The Initially, the only way to get a hold of this movie was either to go to their website and buy or rent the film on Vimeo. Going to their website just links to the Vimeo upload. Which is only, for whatever reason, licensed in the UK. Or it was, when I was searching it. You could also get it on Amazon Prime, but only in the UK. So I was fucking around... With all sorts of VPN stuff still intending to pay for it. It's especially important that you pay independent artists, children. (laughs) And then, literally the day we watched it, about two days ago at time of recording, all of a sudden I noticed, wait, why isn't my VPN working for the dumb UK Prime thing? Oh, wait, it's available on American Prime now. I have done all of this nonsense and paid for things in pounds for nothing. Which, you know, good for Olnick, I guess. Now you can get it to a wider audience. It it is no longer part of Prime. You have to pay $5 to rent it, or I think $9 to own it. Which, at that point, you might as well just buy it. You know, the internet
1: heard and did what you wanted. Aren't you happy? No, I'm never happy. (laughs) It's not what we do here. So, the crushing ennui of 2011, I mean 1992... It sure does have that crushing ennui
0: sense. It's a very
1: Gen X vibe. Extremely.
0: All about that alienation of collect- connection. Ha <laughs> ha! Oh god, you're infecting me with pun energy. Oh, <laughs> oh, I don't like... So, 1992, we open on an alien planet far away, which we know the only... planet Zots. Yeah, it's that kind of 50s sci-fi B movie, by the way. Everything is Z's. Where we learn on the planet Zots that they are facing a dire crisis. It's a, it's a climate change crisis, and the reason that they are having a cra- climate change crisis with the ozone, because again, nineteen ninety two, is because everyone is having too many feelings, big feelings.
1: Well, but the only problematic ones are love. There's a pretty good line where, what about negative feelings? No. Hatred and anger remain within the body and destroy the individual. Love leaves the body and destroys the ozone layer. (laughs) They
0: all talk like this. Uh Uh-huh. Except for when they have to actually deliver pathos and then they're trying desperately to hold on to it and don't quite (laughs) make it. So
1: the aliens are just bald people in tracksuits with
0: with weird collars. Weird pieces of felt that they have glued to the inside of these... Very, very 90s tracksuits. And it's adorable, and you most of the time can't see the edging on the bald caps, so that's good. Most of the time. Sometimes there's texture, mm-hmm. but it's in black and white, so... So it's all fine. Now, So we have three aliens, and you may be forgiven if you can't keep track of them. <laughs> the A-plot one is Zoinks. Mm-hmm. And then there's Xyler, and um, the B-plot. Is so very ancillary that, th- that the internet is not helping me with an entire character name. I'm going to assume it's this character bar. It's kind of hard to recognize the actor. <laughs> uh-huh, on account of the bald caps. Yeah, it does not look like... So our B plot is that we have these two aliens who are on Earth because... You see on account of that ozone layer crisis, all of these defective uh, aliens who have are having big fields that are destroying the and are being sent to Earth where they will have their hearts broken and never be able to love again, and then they can safely return to their home planet of Zots. We get a lot of this. And this is what New York is.
1: Mm-hmm. This
0: is why lesbians
1: go to New York.
0: Basically. I-, I assume that if you lived in New York at the time that this was written, it was probably, it packed much more of a punch. You can still see the shape of the joke there. Yeah and it's still funny. It's still funny. There's a speed dating sequence that's clearly just Jackie Monahan who plays Zyler getting to improv at a bunch of extras uh-huh. <laughs> and be annoying at them and it's it's pretty funny. Very funny. <laughs> I mean, we
1: all love those sequences in movies where they are like go off, say some weird shit.
0: <laughs> as long as they know when to cut them, which this se- that the speed dating sequence does keep from going on too long, which is nice. Yeah
1: the flip side of that is in a lot of bro comedies where they've clearly just not written enough. Mm-hmm. So they just keep it going for forever.
0: Yeah. It's like, no, no, our actors are funny. They're great. We'll just film Let a Will bunch Ferrell of stuff. Will keep
1: doing shit. Oh, God. Why? I don't mean to pick on specifically Will Ferrell. I'm just thinking of, like, the Sherlock Holmes thing.
0: It was very bad. So, after so much unsuccessful dating, Zyler meets Another alien bar who they go and they stare, they attempt to, if they can't have their hearts broken through dating, they will just go and they will stare at these various secondary things of life that are meant to be heartbreaking and ennui-inducing. Yeah, just like inherently sad visions, like the ocean. And achieve- (laughs) Uh, The the revolving dessert case in a diner (laughs) is what finally gets them. Because the cheesecake is always coming towards you and then rotating away and you don't even realize that you have the cheesecake until it begins to go away from you. And then it'll come back around again.
1: It's a very good scene actually.
0: Honestly, if you've watched any like reality bites, those those very early Gen X movies, it's some on point shit. Yeah, because it is that kind of meditation
1: on some inconsequential object that can be spun out into a whole metaphor for life.
0: It's like a plastic bag you haven't even seen that movie (laughs) no i'm protected i just have the very stupid symbolism it's like the peak self-parody of this whole trend (laughs) the unintended (laughs) self-parody and they after they are incredibly moved by this cheesecake they wind up on
1: another's noses uh uh-huh it's
0: very intimate I feel like it's meant to be a Rocky Horror nod, the nose thing. Yeah, yeah, instead of the elbow sex. Yes, they have furious nose touching, which of course is not the point, because how can they have their hearts broken? Neither of them are capable.
1: I mean, I think Zyler's capable of breaking a heart, which is the other thing. Zyler is pretty ruthless. And terrible. <laughs> Just kind of goes through women. And Zyler and Barr both catch feelings, but Barr is much more clear
0: about it. <laughs> you know it's not meant to be it is forbidden they Why can't don't we just enjoy our time while we're here on earth how can we go back to our planet cleared of big feels if we have developed them for each other this doesn't make sense
1: <laughs> okay but the other poor woman that xyler tries to bring home and then walks Gets- into the middle of that conversation I just
0: loved watching her just creep out the side door. She has got excellent face game. A lot of extras in this movie have very good face game. (laughs) So that's the B-plot. There's also a C-plot with a couple of agents. I think we
1: can come back to that. Yeah,
0: because that's just... Olnik wanted to put some thematic stuff in there and just had a couple characters hovering around to do it. It's very like... uh, if. You are an anime nerd out there. It's very like the uh, the three bears in Yurikuruma Arashi, the uh, three judge bears who are out there commenting on these wacky lesbians with vaguely nebulous theme things. <laughs> something, something, the male gaze. But then we have the A-plot, which is... It's kind of, in some ways, typical rom-com stuff, but I don't know, I found it very sweet to watch because our sort of human every person love interest. Uh, Lisa Haas is a fat woman, and it's very charming and sweet to see her played as the desirable love interest. Yeah. Yeah. She's,
1: she's fat and she's butch. She has the same haircut as Dante from the same haircut and outfit as Dante from clerks like flannel and curtain bangs. And she works a dead end job in a gift shop Mm -hmm, behind a counter because clerks and watermelon woman. Yeah. Well, and this way we can format the shots. If if your actor is trapped there, they can't move around too much. So she has sort of perfunctory contact with people all day because it's a customer service job and she sells, you know, gift cards and stuff, but she doesn't have a special
0: someone. There is a scene, because there must be a scene in any movie with customer service, where somebody attempts to return something that's just an empty box. Yep. But he doesn't try very hard.
1: No! There's just this weird old guy that keeps sort of drifting through, and he seems to symbolize what happens when the person you love is gone.
0: Yeah, that that kind of- Because his wife is dead. At loose endsness of it. Yeah. What is the place for you? Mm-hmm.
1: Other than to go into a stationary shop every couple days and fuck things up for, <laughs> for
0: the poor woman who works there. Basically- but then she happens to meet Zoinks, who is our alien, who has come to rid Honestly, herself of big feels. That shit was almost smooth. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very nearly. <laughs> she buys a love card and gives it to her. Yeah. Just buys the card. It's like,
1: could you suggest a love card? Oh, oh yeah. I, I like this one. I think it's really nice. Would you like? How much is it? T- two dollars. And Zoinks hands her the two dollars, takes the card and just hands it back and then walks out. <laughs> And then we
0: cut to them on a date. <laughs> it's very cute. Yeah. <laughs> there are also a couple of scenes setting up with uh, with Jane and her therapist, which feel a touch perfunctory. They're basically just there so Jane can have someone to dialogue off of about how she feels isolated. Yeah, and how she
1: engages in sort of fabulous ideas, which doesn't seem to really fit with the execution at this point. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like it was originally sort of establishing an idea that maybe the aliens aren't real which might have worked in the stage performance
0: yeah there's it i feel like it would have worked much better on stage because on stage it's a lot more awkward to have somebody monologuing to themselves whereas in film you can kind of we you can kind of put us in her perspective and play with that point of view stuff and do a little bit more interior monologue and have it feel more natural because yeah, you can that can get more established invasive with the camera and but this does not have inventive camera work
1: understandably
0: very understandably like it was clearly made for a limited budget and it's somebody directing from stage to film for the first time like that awkwardness is pretty well documented across a lot of different artists yeah but it does mean that there are kind of these if you digital uh-huh especially if you know where to look for them they're they're pretty obvious vestigial stage elements yeah but so they go on several dates and it's very cute. And the autism coding. <laughs> it's
1: very strong. <laughs>
0: mm hmm.
1: I don't know if that's intended, but it's ex- it feels extremely present.
0: And I mean, I think to some extent that is just going to happen where you have any story about aliens who don't understand social cues. Yeah. Who are like
1: awkward.
0: hmm. But but there's something about the way that the two of them talk about consent and desire that really vibes, you know?
1: Well, and also just sort of the way they talk about connecting and not connecting with people on Earth.
0: hmm Yeah, um, Zoinks has this whole speech about how she thinks she's being very direct with her feelings of affection, and nobody seems to read them that way. And, like, because of the age And, of- and she also, um, very specifically asks Jane
1: about the behavior she's seeing from Jane, where Jane will stop herself from saying things or find herself uncomfortable expressing things directly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and that's one of the things that Jane like changes about her expressive behavior. She becomes much more direct
0: mm-hmm. as
1: a communication strategy with Zoinks.
0: Yeah, and like, I think given the age of it that the play was mostly meant to be talking about this this more general cultural alienation, but I, I think it... Or
1: possibly about the way, um, the the sort of girlfriend phenomenon,
0: Mm. uh,
1: where, what are we? Right. The the lesbian, what are we? Mm -hmm. Are are we just good girly friends who are so close and intimate? Are we, what's happening here? Uh Yeah. But it feels very autism coded.
0: In a way that doesn't also end up feeling
1: painful, you know? Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's saying this is a, something that needs to be fixed or changed. It actually feels celebratory to me. hmm
0: Which I think is something that a lot of these types of stories can't pull off because of how it usually asks the more blunt person to change. Right? Yeah. So it's it's nice in that way. And of course, you know, things come to a head. This must have been a one-act play because it's only a 70-minute movie. Yeah. <laughs> They go to a club at one point, which is clearly just Olnick going to a club that she liked and hung out at, and all the <laughs> extras not there. It's a club, it's a bar. Uh-huh.
1: It's a bar with a little space cleared
0: from tables. Uh-huh. Like, I love this place, I'm gonna get it on camera, and all the extras in there, you can be in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> just stand around and watch while we do some bits.
1: So while this is happening, there's these two agents of the Men in Black...
0: And they are driving around in the car, not interacting with anything. And again, something-something male gaze. Yeah. um, They're guys. Mm Mm-hmm. One of whom is we eventually find out part of the safety protocol center. For the aliens. Mm Mm-hmm. And the other is a guy who keeps doing these stakeout missions and has been at it for 12 years and everyone else gets promoted past him.
1: Yeah. But, so there's this theme of this sort of attempted growth of intimacy, but totally
0: missing connections. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell if it's purposely supposed to be about, quote-unquote, you know, male versus female communication. And like, certainly there is this element where, where our, our human officer, neither of them are named, so bear with us, <laughs> uh, keeps talking about this very heteronormative life that he has that makes him extremely happy. Yeah. There's a conversation about food, so it's about the, gay stuff. Yeah, yeah. Literally
1: any movie that has a conversation where two characters are talking about two different foods and which one they prefer, it's gay. Mm-hmm. In this case- From it's Spartacus onward.
0: <laughs> snails. Oysters or snails. <laughs> it's always gay. That's a rule. <laughs> always. In this case, it's extra gay because it's Boston cream versus jelly donut. Mm-hmm. And just the
1: discussion of, of the revulsion at the way the cream behaves too aggressively. <laughs> like
0: the, the beautiful straightforwardness of it. <laughs> well, there's also that fucking
1: amazing bit of dialogue <laughs> where the
0: um the the human guy is like talking about his wife Debbie. Right. It's very confusing. <laughs> that kind of dialogue extremely confused at me.
1: It, it, very confusing. <laughs> like it's sort of just inherently confusing, and I'm not sure what it's trying to
0: say. But right, because it's the one time that the movie acknowledges transness, because the alien officer asks him, "So is is your wife a trans man?" I'm like what? <laughs> and, and and he the the guy is very confused at the whole concept. Right, at the concept that he would have not married a feminine cisgender woman. How dare you? But I'm out here confused, like none of the conversational points connect here. N- did, did you mean is she, a, like, why didn't you ask if she was a trans woman? Why did this um, come up? I'm not sure if this is saying that
1: that all of the alien relationships are gay, so he's trying to figure out why you would be with Debbie. Okay. maybe. Yeah, maybe that's it. But like, I are you with your wife, Debbie, because Debbie is a man? Right? Oh, God, my brain hurts. Yeah, no, I have no idea
0: where that kind
1: conversational
0: of... cul-de-sac
1: was going.
0: And it did and it didn't feel hateful. No, not really. It just felt very like unmoored from the. The impl- I felt like zoinks in that moment <laughs> because there's clearly unread cultural signifiers were meant to get there and I don't get them. Yeah. And maybe that disconnection is part of it. Mm hmm. I was uh, one thing I did find interesting is that uh, I found an oral history of the theater where this was originally performed. Ooh. Mm hmm. I say oral history. The part that's available online, at least, is this person talked to one of the main performers. Uh, so it's it's very limited. But... Um, does this share any
1: performers with the 1992 run? I mean, it's 20 years on, so I would assume no. I
0: don't... I don't think so. I wasn't able to find any data on that. Hmm. Let's see. So it has kind of this cul-de-sac where they are talking... Where this person, Holly Hughes uh who was the one who had her grant rescinded right uh, is talking about kind of terminology yeah brace yourselves at home children because inevitably when that cop to- when that topic came up i ended up wondering was this place turfy because right. a lot of like, like, strictly just- lesbian spaces especially in the 90s kind of ran afoul of that issue um so there's this statement that's Hughes, like her wife Esther Newton, the LGBT historian and author of Mother Camp and My Butch Career, is not eager to throw out the word lesbian and replace it with queer for the sake of appearing more inclusive. In some ways, queer functions like gay did. Gay came in to replace homosexual and it was going to be radical and inclusive just in the way that we talk about queer. And then we discovered in practice that it became all, or mostly all, white men, and there were always different rationales for why women weren't included and why it was white. To many older lesbians and lesbian feminists, including Hughes, the ongoing critique of the word lesbian is part of the damage done by sexism, which can frequently lead us to defer to other gender expressions over our own, if even subconsciously. I am very committed to being trans-inclusive, says Hughes, who assists and supports students who are in transition, but I'm concerned about demanding that our history have a kind of perfection. As an artist, you need to reference earlier generations, whereas a lot of lesbians now are saying, I'm not a lesbian, which is fine. Well, Identity
1: shift. Well, if they're not, then why are you calling them that, mm-hmm. ma'am?
0: But a lot of people have a lack of information or misinformation about the recent past. And that... Boy, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because it's... Like, on the one hand, y- yes, but also it seems very... It's, it's weird that she,
1: she's sort of... Assuming that queer is meant to replace lesbianism.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And this was uh, an interview that was done around 2016, by the way. Or Mm -hmm. at least the journal it was in was in 2016. Right.
1: Whereas most of the people I know who use queer either identify as queer and lesbian or identify as queer as like under an umbrella term, which is distinct from a specific label they would employ.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I have seen uh, lesbian friends that talk about how, you know, gay is still an acceptable term, but lesbian is sort of has been done this damage of being associated by TERFs. So there has been kind of this push to if you say you're a lesbian, automatically it means you're a TERF. Sort of in that same way that there was that really nasty bit of people who were saying, well, if it means you're bi, if you say you're bi, that means you only think there's two genders. So I sympathize with that. I do sympathize, but that's unfortunately one of those
1: things where... Like the punk community has had to do that, had to work really hard to divide itself from, from the skinhead community. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I don't like to use gay as an umbrella term.
0: Right, because it, for our generation, it was so that was the pejorative term of choice. Well,
1: it's, it was the pejorative term of choice, and I'm so used to being told I have to use it as an umbrella term, and then having people turn around and tell me that when I'm trying to identify in it, that i'm wrong because right. i'm not gay the whole situation with the very coy framing of the relationship between aziraphale
0: and crowley and good omens where Damon just couldn't say that they were in love because he got tripped up on what specific term does this fall into right he got tripped up on
1: the fact that their genders are are, are not male right so therefore he just refused to go deeper into it and and spent all of his time saying no they're not gay Mm -hmm. When, okay, if somebody asks you if they're gay, fine. Say they're not gay, but they're in love. Like, make that step rather than continuing with the sort of fetishistic wordplay Mm -hmm. about... Which upholds the the fact that gay is a term only to be used by a very small subset of
0: the population. Like, I feel like her critique there of gay is very Very true. Very on point. It is extremely of the... All not quite of the white log cabin Republican, but as Twitter would say, the white gays. Mm.
1: Yeah, because I feel like a lot of people do feel alienated
0: from gay. Hmm. I I don't know. That was that was interesting. It made me want to kind of look more into these artists, which is one of the things I'm I'm happy about that we looked into this film. Yeah, yeah, because it opened up sort of this whole research rabbit hole. But the stuff with the officers is very academically interesting, but does drag the film down at points. Yeah, I I
1: feel like they're well used. At the end. But Uh a lot of the way they're threaded through is kind of clumsy. And it feels like it was mostly done so that we can shine a spotlight over to where we have a little cardboard car or a couch Mm -hmm. that's representing a car so that the other actors can run around and and move in a counter or Mm -hmm. a, a house. It also... It, it feels very much part of the staging dynamic to give that breathing time.
0: Yeah. And it's also not entirely cl- clear on the script's part. I wasn't clear entirely on why they were there until that dialogue really solidified toward the end. Because they're there to um, to track the aliens back to their home planet, basically. Or the skies. Well, well and to prevent the populace at large from... Being aware.
1: Yeah. So. Which gets- Men in black, except they're not working with the aliens. Mm-hmm. Aware up working with the aliens Mm -hmm.
0: which gets told to us at the very beginning and then really comes back around at the very end but again there's all this stuff in the middle that's kind of mushy yeah and then they start getting into the really potent dialogue about well how do you know when two lesbians are on a date or if they're just out as friends right and lesbian
1: relationships never last Mm mm-hmm because it's always just a phase. And it's weird because that character was never great, but that almost felt crowbarred into his mouth at the end because his performance...
0: Was a little bit more like microaggression, thoughtless harm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I felt the same. Yeah, he, he just
1: wasn't performing as hostily throughout the overall film.
0: Which I'm sure that it, that's, might be performance choice. Yeah. Because I, I can see a performance of that character where all those dialogue choices line up to get to that line. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's just sort of a disjunction
1: in the performance.
0: Mm-hmm. But, so the final crisis of the movie happens. In that uh, Zyler has decided that, is enough, that enough is enough and rather than face her own big feelings, everybody's got to go home.
1: Yeah, because um, Zoinks' ship had had a malfunction so she wasn't able to go home. Conveniently, mm-hmm. Very conveniently. Um, but Zyler's like, okay, we're, we're going home. This, this is done. And then they get a bulletin.
0: That, in fact, it is not big fields that are causing the ozone <laughs> layer to break down. <laughs> in fact, it is just our shiny bald pates. <laughs> yes, it's the
1: sunlight reflecting off of everyone's shiny bald pates. So as long as everybody wears hats, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, Barr is just staring at Zyler.
0: Yeah, that never quite gets resolved. Like, there's a line at the very end about how she doesn't quite, you know, regret everything that happened here. Right. So it's on a hopeful note. but Uh Uh-huh. And I can, again, on another performance level, I can see how there would be some physical business there to kind of wrap that up for the audience. But the script sort of leaves it open. But Barr is just fucking staring daggers through the scene. It's... (laughs) Amazing and amazingly awkward, which I think I wonder if that's also a deliberate choice on Olnick's part when you get to like, you know, the L word type stuff where everybody in a community has dated each other. <laughs> that that ama- or that just for for the children in the audience, that amazing tweet where someone was like, oh, you're a lesbian. Do you know my other friend? Was like, no, not all lesbians know each other and then really I- my friend has a cat named
1: chester and lives uh, over on the east side and i was just fuming because i dated her <laughs>
0: <laughs> these very <laughs> that very insular community moment <laughs> same same, br- same type of joke as all trans lesbians have are, are more or less related through their polycules
1: <laughs> so zoinks tells jane that she is an alien and that she has to leave. And Jane's like, I, sh- I should have known that because only an alien would be into me. No- nobody from this planet like connects with me and gets me. Which The autism coding. Mm-hmm. And Haas
0: has a very so understated performance, but it's so sweet and vulnerable. Oh, yeah, I really like her. Mm-hmm. She's very good in this. Yeah, which I feel like is another thing that... There is a very different version of this show that doesn't play with the naturalism that they ultimately go for for the movie. It makes it very sort of heightened. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like would hit, certain things would work better, certain things would work less better. Yeah. Because that mumblecore element and the sci-fi element are not quite in opposition, but they're from very different traditions.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely sort of a patchwork.
0: Mm-hmm. By
1: the way, the spaceship is adorable. It's precious. It's a pie tin. With little LED lights
0: stuffed in it, and the inside of the ship looks exactly like the one from Plan Nine because, of course, it does. Because, of course, it does. Mm-hmm. And so, at, at you know, Zoinks goes, and not you know, minutes after Jane runs after her, and it's, with her suitcase, it's it's very cute. Her suitcase that she seems to just buy out of a shop. I don't know if it has anything in it. I don't know <laughs> if she knows either. <laughs> but
1: and um, and the agents try to chase her but wouldn't you
0: know it but the alien agent whoops takes a wrong turn you know you don't want to rush these things you got to obey the traffic signals yeah and so jane makes it onto the ship as it's time to go and there's no time to stop the countdown and why would she want to do this because she'll be on an alien planet well, where she'll be an alien to everybody and no one will understand her and that's how she already feels anyway all the time so but
1: she'll have zoinks
0: Mm -hmm. and it's very 1992, but also really sweet, and it works. And then we get a final shot of them, and, and now she has a silly color, too. And the film transitions to color, because that that is what big feels do. I just love the use of the phrase big, big feels. feels. <laughs> like big feelings. Before the internet. <laughs> like, in some way, it both is and isn't an insubstantial film, you know? Because there's a lot of commentary and very smart lines, and some very nice grounded performances but also it's a very beat by beat rom-com which is radical in some ways because it's a lesbian rom-com
1: yeah well it's interesting that that it also has this bifurcated relationships set up it's not just following this one relationship so that it has a big dramatic argument Mm -hmm. because the third act misunderstanding though yeah no um it, it's got these two different relationships that have these very different dynamics going on.
0: hmm Yeah, I Cause do... not all
1: relationships follow the same pattern.
0: I do like the sort of sad inevitability feeling to, before the, the big chase to the airport. Like, I, I don't want to do this, but I have to do this. For and, reasons. And we're, all, we're going to pretend to be very mature about it. But, but love big feels big feelings big feelings triumph overall <laughs> i like that she has to t- take a train
1: and a bus to get to the uh spaceship right she are, are they gonna beam you up or something <laughs> no i will take the f train and then transfer to the
0: bus <laughs> <laughs> it's a good joke uh <laughs> is a great really funny script script writer oh yeah well, and
1: that, that actress, um, Sarah Ziegler, was mm-hmm. it, is so good at delivering. I think it's Susan Ziegler. Susan but yeah. Ziegler. She's so good at delivering Olnick's writing.
0: Mm-hmm. Just
1: as deadpan as it needs to be. Well, and she's got these really big, dark eyes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In this sort of long, lean face that's very expressive, but in a low-key way.
0: <laughs> Which... Is so great that she's kind of transitioning to film work. It feels like a lot of her directorial stuff is just, these are what I feel to be my best or most valuable works, and I want to preserve them, which I'm so grateful for, because, you know, scripts go on, but scripts get lost, and performances are so individual, but also without some kind of codified performance, that's so many people who never get to visit this thing yeah i don't care how many scripts you've saved on, in a, in a giant library somewhere those are very hard to read unless you're like extremely into theater it's, it is a personal bugbear of mine and i understand why a lot of theater folks resist having a codified version of something when theater is meant to be so malleable but but from a historian the historian in me wants this
1: You want to see how that performance worked. And then we can talk about what worked and didn't work and...
0: How the other ways that this could exist. And yeah. Which I
1: feel like we've done a lot of here. Like this still very much feels like it's working from a script. Mm Mm-hmm. In that there's a lot of interpretable moments.
0: Which I think, you know, some people would argue that makes it a failing as a film in that... At the end of the day, it's so about its script and not about its visual language. But I don't know. I find it just a very interesting document, and even with even before I sort of looked into it, I think it has this almost living quality as a text that's really neat. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Uh huh. I'm really glad that that we watch it, and I would definitely wholeheartedly suggest that folks check it out. Yeah, I mean, you know, five bucks is high for a rental at that point you might as well just buy it and i know folks have you know tight budgets but i don't know i think if you are looking for genre stuff this is a good watch yeah and like, de- oh like if you have the five bucks and want to spend it on something mm-hmm. and do definitely see wild nights with emily i don't think that one is streaming but it is fairly cheap on disc yeah that is definitely i mean it's Seven years later, Olnik has figured out what she wants to do with film as a language, distinct from theater as a language.
1: It, it definitely has much more visual quality to it.
0: hmm So excited to
1: see what she does next, though. Yeah. hmm It's always nice also to see a, an artist from a marginalized community who is able to repeatedly make works.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, especially because I, I saw brief mention that she was, I think, before she came to Wow Cafe, kind of pressured against including lesbian content mm-hmm. in her works, and I, I don't know she because she's also you know a Jewish lesbian, and she's done some plays about her J- Judaism, but those don't seem to have been adapted into her film work. Which I don't know why she chose to do that, but it's a you know I am sad that I cannot see those also. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I I don't know if this is what people meant when they asked us for genre work because it's it's very low budget it's very what it is but i think this is the space that you're going to find a lot of the genre play in when it comes to queer film because there are these barriers to to funds to distribution to access and that's kind of a regrettable element and so if you, you find this
1: film adapted from an old script for for five bucks and a ham sandwich that you can only
0: get from this one distributor in the UK. Mm -hmm. Which there is a part of me that's the cranky old bastard that I have to shove down of like back in our day, this is what we did. And it was, it was, it was Scrabble and it was good and we liked it. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's very different feeling from stuff like, like She-Ra, which is great to see happening and there should be more of, but I value this kind of very, very community only type work. So I think the next film
1: we're talking about is actually from a genre that is pretty easy to get queer
0: content into and has historically had a lot of it. It sure is. Like we mentioned, we are coming back around to a horror and I will tell you in a minute uh, what that shall entail. But in the meantime, thank you so much for joining us today, listeners. Um, We hope that you enjoyed this. If you did, you can find more of our stuff on our SoundCloud, including there's a whole playlist that is just the Pride Month episodes. And if you're following us on our Twitter at TrashPod, I'll probably have retweeted that to make it a little bit easier to find. You can also find us on social media on Tumblr at TrashAndTreasuresPod.tumblr.com or you can email us at TrashTreasuresPod at gmail.com. We love to get mail. And I'd like to give a shout out this week to friend of the show, uh, Toyle who recently joined Twitter, and read Haunted in a Bath. Oh Which is
1: just an upsetting notion. Oh, that's right up there with the time I, I lent my grandfather a copy of American Gods because I forgot about the scene. You know,
0: the scene. The
1: scene that you wouldn't want your grandfather to read.
0: Uh-huh. And to know that you'd read. Because that's something that can never be spoken of again. Yep. Like the like he an invisible kind of, character. They just ha- kind of handed it back to me and we just never. <laughs> but yes, so our last film for Pride is one that has been, I think, brought up to us multiple times because people know our brand. And that warms my heart yes. in so many ways. Uh, it I've is, been wanting
1: to see this for a while.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, so very excited to talk about Bit, which is a queer trans vampire movie. Yes! So I'm very excited to talk about that, and I hope that you'll all join us next time. Take care of yourselves. Bye, y'all.